colleague of mine says we can't manage time because time passes at the same rate no matter what we do. That we have to instead, he, according to him, learn to manage life. And, um, uh, and I, I kind of like that. But today's study in God's Word will not teach you techniques for managing time or your life. Are you disappointed? I, afterwards, tell me whether you are or not, okay? I give you license today. But uh, uh, it will point you toward the spiritual disciplines um, that will ultimately make your use of time move from worthless to worthy. That's my goal tonight, so hopefully we're going to get there. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter, 15, uh, chapter 5. Sorry, say chapter 15. How many of you have 15 chapters in your book of Ephesians? Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, beginning with verse 15. And let's read those together for a moment. Well, I'll read it. You watch. You follow along. Verse 15, Therefore... Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I'm going to stop there for a moment. So don't be foolish, understand what the will of the Lord is. Take time back from the worthlessness of evil control. That's what we're going to do. We're going to take time back from the worthlessness of evil control. While discussing his reader's need to escape from the darkness of their old ways, Paul addressed some, of, uh, some key spiritual disciplines necessary to break away. He said, be careful how you walk. Be careful how you walk. Literally, look or watch accurately the path before you. How you're walking on it. Give detail to that. Now, you may already know how to walk, but Paul was making some concern there. You know how it is with you teaching a little baby to walk, right? And they, that baby's kind of walking along, wobbling along, and, and you're, that child is doing everything he or she can to be careful how they walk. And that's what, what Paul is saying, that watch your step. Be careful how you walk. Walk, in this case, is talking about our lifestyle. Accurately implies that we can know how to live the way God intends. Be careful how you walk. Walk accurately. Knowing how to live comes from wisdom. And we can choose to be wise. I'm telling you right now, you can choose to be wise. We don't often make that choice, but we can, make, we can choose to be wise. Our choice of conduct and even occupations reveal a dependence on one of two options. We stick with the comfortable old darkness, don't we? Sometimes we do that. Or we let the light of God's Word and His Holy Spirit guide our decision. When it comes to time, I think we have a greater challenge than we realize. I don't know about you, but how many of you say, man, I have trouble managing the time I have. I have trouble getting what I need done in the hour that I have to get it done. Right? I mean, most of us do. During a hospital visit, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I don't know if you're familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wrote The Cost of Discipleship, Ethics, a few other awesome books. Um, and of course, uh, in, 
One of the interesting things to me is he said uh, during, he was providing a time of morning devotions for the family. And on this verse, verse 16, he said, time belongs to death, or still more so, to the devil. We must buy it from him and return it to God, to whom, we must, uh, to whom it must really belong. In verse 16, in this chapter, he says, making the most. That understates the meaning. My translation says, making the most of your time. Making the most of it. That is an understatement. Literally, we are to buy back the time. It is in the hands of the enemy. Some of your translations say, redeem the time. So, but, but buy it back. Get it back from the enemy. Which explains why I have such a hard time stewarding my time. Somebody else has a hold of it. Somebody else is pulling it away from me. And Paul says, buy it back. Go to the marketplace. Time literally has to be pursued, selected, and put to use like any other commodity. We can't just let it go. I do. Sometimes I just let it go. The will of God. Oh, I'm sorry. Wisdom, first of all. You've got to have wisdom, right? Wisdom is the price that we pay to manage our time, to get our time, to buy our time. You see, when I go after time, I can't go after it the same exact way I go after something in the marketplace. I might bargain with that, but I need some wisdom because wisdom is my purchase price. I need to get that back. Wisdom is a price we carry to the market. The will of God is a source of wisdom. In Romans 12, I'm not going to read that, but he says, I think it's up here somewhere, yes. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, what? To present your bodies a living sacrifice. But what does he say at the end of that? He says, he says that, um, that we're to, that, that, that will prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. It, the spiritual disciplines will keep us on track, will help us prove the will of God, know His will regarding our time. He will keep us on track. Take a look at verse 18. Now you kind of like say, well, where's this going? Where are you going to go with this thing? Um, in verse 18, I like what Paul says. And you're going to like, what, what does this have to do with anything? So as he talks about buying back time, not being foolish, and understanding what the will of the Lord is, and that's what we do need to do, by the way. We need to understand His will. We need to have a grasp of His will so that we can manage our time. But he goes to an interesting passage. He says in verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now believe it or not, I'm not going to talk about getting drunk with wine. Um, but I am going to talk about being filled with the Spirit. You see, exercise spiritual disciplines to make personal and relational time worthwhile. You see, when we talk about disciplines, spiritual disciplines, we often speak about prayer, Bible study, and worship. These are all things we have to be doing, right? These are valuable to us. But, but there are some, while these are needed disciplines, there are others that take place moment by moment that will help us redeem the time. Paul gives examples of spiritual disciplines that guide our use of time. One of those is being filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, he says, speaking and singing to each other in prayer. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, giving, I'm getting myself mixed up here. Four disciplines I wanted to talk about. Being filled with the Spirit, prayer, 
speaking to one another in uh, songs and hymns and, uh, and particularly in thankfulness and mutual submission to one another. Uh, let's talk about those just for a moment. And uh, by the way, this is not my usual way of preaching, right? Really want us to, this is really a teaching. And I want you to kind of understand it that way. I want you to understand how to manage, how to work with your time. So let's take a look at these disciplines. First and foremost, be filled with the Spirit. Connecting with the Spirit is foundational to knowing God's will. Um, including, by the way, our current concern. How He wants us to steward our time. The Spirit is concerned about your time. He knows your need. You have heard people say, by the way, God first, family second, others third, and then yourself, right? Right? How many of you said that? You have. You're not going to raise your hand and admit it, but you have. You said, this is it. This is how I order my life. Do you really? Now, notice what I said. As nice as this sounds, it just isn't true. You can't do that. It is impossible. It's impossible to do that. How many of you tried? I have. Yeah. I'm going to put God first, family second. Wait a minute. But God is first, right? If God is first, how can family do anything? Because God requires everything. God requires everything. He demands all of your life. So I can't put God first and then family second. Family never comes if I do it that way. Oh, wait a minute. Or does He? I prefer to say in every use of time or relationship, God must always come first. In every use of your time, God comes first. Right? So in my next slide, I think, this is more the way I look at it. He orders the priority of the moment. You like my little umbrella there? I'm so impressed with myself, all right? <laughs> You know, just, isn't that great? And, and it was a rainy day today. You needed one, see? So you kind of, kind of, that was a good thing. But God is always first, and we order under Him our lives, under His direction. When my family comes first, under God's plan, others are not coming first. It's not happening. Myself is not necessarily coming first. I'm focused, if I'm focused on my wife, my children have less importance. If I'm focusing on my children, my wife might have less focus. If I'm focusing on my children or my wife, my job is facing a little bit of limitations right then. What does God say? He says, I want you to order your time under my authority. He guides the use of our time. And by the way, what are you going to do in the old order I put up there, when it comes to the six or seven billion people in this world, which one of them are you putting as a priority? Does God care about your investment in one or all of the seven billion people supposedly on the face of this earth? I don't know how they count them, okay? I just really don't understand. They're there, I'm sure. But He does care, does He not? In fact, that person over there in the other country who is starving right now is equally as important as that wife sitting beside you this evening. So if God's putting a priority in your life, sometimes it means taking away from that which you think is most important. 
I'm not supposed to speak on finances, but think about it for a moment. If I'm concerned about that person and God has a concern about them, sometimes it may mean I'm going to give to world hunger causes so that that person can eat, maybe even at the expense of something that my family wants. That's not my topic. But sometimes that's the priority, is it not? Many Christians focus all their attention on the family to the detriment of church, work, and other kingdom of God issues. Those things happen, don't they? We kind of like, oh, it's my family. It's my family. There's this organization which I think a lot of called Focus on the Family. The only thing is, is it's not really a good title. Now you, you can crucify me later. All right? Focus needs to be on Christ. Always on God. And God leads us at times to put some focus on our families. Yes. But if I'm going to organize something to, that priority, I'm going to start with Him. I'm going to start with Him. I'm going to know, know His Word. Now, um, think about this. When wine fills a person, they are under its control and influence. And this is really what Paul's getting at in Ephesians 5 here in verse 18. He says, you know, decisions are based, think about it, when the wine is there, you know what, you know what it's like. Things, especially the more that gets there, decisions become a little more fuzzy. And in fact, uh, in fact, it gets kind of bad at times. And um, it may be reckless reasoning. We think we're doing the right thing. It's so smart. It's wise, right? But because of the wine or because of whatever other alcohol it might be, we're getting fuzzy. We're losing. We're reckless. And my brother uh, works for the fire department in Austin. And, and he, he was glad the forecast on, there in Austin, Texas. I mean, come on, think about this. The, the forecast was icy conditions. They were going to have an ice storm that night. And he said, this is great. He said, this is great because he says in Austin, you know, people tend to stay home in an ice storm. And he said, it is easier to deal with people who drink and walk than people who drink and drive. They'd rather be called out to figure out how to take care of their rears than to take care of what would happen in, in the accident they, that occurred. Uh, so uh, he understood that. To be filled with the Spirit is to be under His control and influence. Because of my commitment to following Him at whatever cost, I can know the best, the best decision for the moment. So if I'm committed to Him, by the way, that is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. If I'm committed to the moment, I mean, to Him, to His Spirit, His direction, then I know what He's wanting. In parallel passages, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. It, it may be setting aside reading the Bible to talk to my son. That may happen. Is reading the Bible important? Oh yeah, absolutely. But sometimes I have to set the Bible aside and go to my son and say, how can I be with you? How can I help you? It may be reading my Bible instead of talking to my wife. We, we talk way too much anyway. We have solved every problem in the world at least 10 times over. I mean, we really, ha we talk a lot. Um, I love talking with her. We, we just enjoy that time together. But, but sometimes I have to set that aside and it has to be God's word I'm spending time in, right? That's, that's because I'm listening to what the Spirit says. 
It may be going for a run, which that's always my choice, right, Doug? It's a, you know, we got to do that sometimes. Some people do it more than others. Um, but I'll, I'll never get to that level. I, I, I'm confident of that. Um, but it may be watching a movie with family or friends. Sometimes that's priority. Isn't that funny? Because would you, not, would you say that's a spirit-filled activity? That's a God-centered activity? Sometimes no, sometimes yes. What I want to do is I want to first get to that point where I know what He's saying. I first want to make sure that He is in control. He is Lord over that situation. Now, how do I know? <laughs> it's already up there. you got the answer. But how do I know I'm filled with the Spirit? This is what parallel passages say regarding this being filled with the Spirit. They say, instead of filled with the Spirit, they'll say that they, to um, let the Word of Christ dwell, richly dwell within us. Let the Word of Christ dwell within you. That's a starting point. If you're not doing that, how are you going to be filled with Him, the one who wrote it? That's the Holy Spirit. Read it. Then, beyond that, they refer to dying to self. Oh, I don't really like that part. But, but sometimes what, what, to be filled with the Spirit means that we die to ourselves. We don't live for ourselves. We don't live for our own glory. We don't look, live for the things that I'm wanting. We live for Him. I die to myself. I'm taking up my cross daily. I'm following Him. And whatever He's saying, I'm going to do. They talk about setting your mind on the things above. It is so easy for this world to disturb us. Where do we have the most trouble in our time? It's when that world kind of creeps in and starts bugging us. Hey, hey, come here. Pay attention. Pay attention. And if we're not focused on Christ, what do we do? We pay attention. Whatever it says. What, that's what advertisers are trying to do, aren't they? They're trying to get our attention. They say, you need a bigger house. You need a bigger car. You need a better, uh, a better neighborhood. You need something, right? Better clothes. I'd never worry about that. You know, you got to have these things. That's because the world is saying that to you. I read a book. Oh, I better get out. Get, be careful here. Um, well, I said it. My wife's going to say, why did you do it that way? And uh, I always say that. She gets, gets really mad when I... No, she doesn't either. She never gets mad at me. I'm perfect. Um, <laughs> as a husband. Perfect husband. Just perfect. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um really changed my life early on. It's called um, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. You, anybody read that? It's been reprinted. My wife read it. I made her read it. Um, actually, before we got married. It's an old book. But it was redone recently. Not that recently. 15 years ago or something like that. Um, how do we prioritize our time? You know, he said, he said, most of us don't need another, another item of clothing for 10 more years, maybe 15. We really don't need it. See, where, what is our priority? What is our priority? We, look, we act like we have to have that next piece of clothing when we don't. Whatever said we had to be in style. Yeah, I'm a testimony. <laughs> My daughter's like, yeah, Dad, you never have been in style. Um, you know, I... I Probably not. Um, I did buy a cowboy boots when they were cool in junior high. I wore them once, hated them, threw them away. Um, so that's it. That's all I've done. Um, 
helpful spiritual disciplines, right? How do we get there? Spirit-filled Christians know how to prioritize their time. They do. It's those of us who walk away from being filled with the Spirit that run into trouble. Every trouble I have is because I don't ask God. Think about it. The Israelites, in, when they were coming into the promised land, and didn't take, they, they didn't knock out that one group of folks, right? This is all free. That's why I can't remember the name of the group of folks. But, but think about it. When they came in there, the one group of folks that became a thorn in their flesh from that day forward was because they didn't ask. They didn't ask God. They didn't say, God, what should we do about this? They looked, they said, it makes sense. Their shoes are worn out. Their clothes are worn out. Their bread's dry and crumbly. They had to come from a far distance just like they said they lied. But they made the decision on their priorities without listening to God. We need to listen. Helpful spiritual disciplines include what we say and how we say it. You know, we go on with this. We're speaking, speaking and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I always liked that. I thought, what? Songs? I don't sing very good. You know, I don't know how to play. I don't, I'm certainly not going to stand and sing in front of you, but, but I, I'll sing in the shower, you know, where nobody can hear. But this says, to one another. And there's a time for doing that, and families do that together sometimes. They'll sing what? Whatever they, they comes to mind. But if the songs that you know are from the... 80s, maybe you're missing something. Maybe it should be, I mean, I'm not talking about 80s Christian, I'm talking about just 80s rock, you know, um, or pop, or whatever. What do you sing to your family? Those are teaching moments. Those are giving us ideas. So sing to one another. Spiritual songs. Sing the Psalms. To speak the Psalms. I think uh, 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 some, some generations and some people actually chant the Word of God to one another to begin to with that and infuse that into their lives. Value comes from listening to the insights someone has with God. Our corporate worship and our missional communities fit into this category. What do we do with each other as we come together? We sing songs. We sing hymns. We sing to one another. We sing to Him. And we listen to one another. We also speak words. We teach words. When we come in our missional communities, we discuss the Word of God. We say, how can we apply this? How can we live this out? Um, we, when we omit the spiritual disciplines of life from the body of Christ, we miss a valuable source of insight into our schedules. Sometimes we need to talk to one another so we hear what God is saying about our schedules. Prayer, including prioritizing thankfulness, is an essential discipline for making use of our time. You know what? Can you remember the last time you said, thank you God for the, the amount of time you give me in a day? Wow, God, you gave me 24 hours today to manage and do everything you want me to do in this time. Every one of us has the same amount of time every day. 158 hours, 168 hours a week. Every week, you and I have the same amount of time. I never understand why somebody gets more done than I do in that time. But have we thought, thanked God for the time he gave us? I can tell you when I'm wasting time. Can't you? Can you tell when you're wasting time? I know when it's happening. And I'm very, very aware, by the way, of the time right now. I'm thinking, okay, every minute I waste, I'm wasting about uh, somebody, an hour or so of time. Somebody's. Or using, not wasting. 
But I want to be sure that we're using this time wisely. Uh, I'm particularly prone to forgetting to thank God in everything. Could it be our prayerlessness is a major source of our failure to redeem the time? Right? Think about this. A young businessman told Patrick Morley. Anybody know who Patrick Morley is? You should know. Yeah, you know, right? Patrick Morley is a businessman who, who, uh, who talks on men's issues, Christian men's issues. He said, this, he said the businessman told him, I really don't have a lot of time for prayer and Bible reading. I have young kids. I'm building my career. And I'm very active in my church. Morley stated, when I was in that same mindset, I took a suggestion from management guru Peter Drucker. You know who that is, right? Okay, good. Um, and I, he said, I, I sat down with a piece of paper and charted how I actually spent my time. By the way, this is where I usually close the book. You know, I don't want to talk about how I use my time. But he said, he said I, I wrote that down. And Drucker says, everyone has expectations about what their chart will say. And without exception, everyone is surprised by what they actually find. Try it sometime. Really record your time. And this is what, what uh, uh, Morley said. He said, I discovered that I spent one to two hours every night watching television. I started going to bed early instead of watching TV. And getting up two hours earlier in the morning. People sometimes think I'm crazy to get up at 4 a.m., but that's okay. I'm in conversation with God. He went on to point out that Martin Luther is famous for commenting, I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. Have we ever thought about that? I've thought about it. We must learn to see prayer as the most powerful and efficient use of our time. If you want a close relationship with Jesus, you can have it. He goes on to say, but you must cultivate that relationship through conversation. You know, I told you earlier that my wife and I, we talk about everything. We've solved all the world's problems. You just need to come to us. We can help you, okay? Because we know an answer. I don't know the answer, but we know an answer, right? God, Jesus Christ, knows how to order your time. We need to be in conversation with Him to hear this. But what about my job? Oh, by the way, I just want to mention inside an often misapplied mis, uh, or mis, or ignored discipline, spiritual discipline, is mutual submission to one another. You know, sometimes I just need to ask somebody, what do you see? What do you see? What do you understand of my life and how I'm using it? Sometimes that really helps, doesn't it? I need to hear from other people who are also hearing from God, and they look and they say, Tim, you know, that was a good thing, but it wasn't the best. It wasn't the best. And hence, you got three hours of sleep last night. That often comes from my wife. I don't know why, but that kind of a comment. But what about my job? Let's think about that just a minute. In, in chapter 6 of Ephesians Chapter 6, verse 5. There's some instructions in there. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as, 
as to Christ, right? Not by way of eye service, as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Now, how many of you are slaves? How many of you have a boss? You're a slave. You know, we, we have people we answer to. Exercise spiritual disciplines to make vocal, vocational time worthwhile. God has called you to your job. That's a calling. It's a vocation. That's why the word vocation implies that. It is a calling that God has placed on your life. He wants you to do that job. He wants you to do well in that job. He has expectations. The same spiritual disciplines apply to your work life. Still, there are unique aspects to our work lives that require additional wisdom, if that is even possible. Our work lives have a way of crowding in on us, do they not? There are many passages in the Bible that address a person's work life. Work matters to God. But in, in chapter 6, he it gives these instructions to the, to the slaves that in terms of relating to our working world, and I think they'll help us. We are not slaves. But in our world, we serve a master called boss. Right? I do. <laughs> At least I'm supposed to, right? He has authority over our lives during eight or so hours each day. He tells us what to do. He has an expectation. Now, if you're in business for yourself, you have many bosses. Okay? I just thought I'd let you know that. Some of you guys are in business for yourself. You have your own bosses. They're your customers, your consumers. But your boss hired you to perform certain tasks and to produce a certain result. How easy it is to fall into the half-hearted effort. But look at these expectations or disciplines. He says, obey. Obedience. The worker is to obey if for no other reason than fear or respect. You know, I'm afraid of my boss. He can fire me. He may not like what I do or what I say. The boss can reward or punish accordingly. But the Christian's obedience is sincere or pure or generous. That's what he says. Out of purity, out of sincerity. But it's like, really, the word could be translated generous. Giving away of our lives for the sake of His well-being. Our obedience extends to areas that are unseen and not even expected. We don't have to ask God what He wants us to do. That it, He wants us to do good for those who are over us. If somebody tells me, this is what I expect you to do in your job, I should automatically say, well, then I'm going to do that. That's what He's expecting. And what about when He's not looking? Oh, I don't like that. When He's not looking, the Scripture says, you keep doing that. The good we, we do, he tells us, is, is, is as if we did it for the Lord. If I'm putting widgets together, my kids know I, yes, Bethany, I'm going to talk about widgets. If I'm putting widgets together, I'm going to put widgets together for the glory of God. It's for Him. As if He is going to want and buy my widgets. They're for Him. It doesn't matter who else likes them. So I'm going to offer them the best possible. If, I, if I'm serving sick people, I want to serve them knowing that, that I'm serving the Lord at that moment. 
Not myself, not my boss even. I'm serving the Lord because that is what I'm doing my work for. And how you and I spend our work time reflects our understanding of ownership. God owns us and our work time. Okay? If I'm going to buy it back, remember the whole point was redeeming the time from the, one, the evil one. He doesn't rightfully own the time. Somehow, we have given it over to let Him have it. It's God's time. Redeem it. Even on the job. So, how I spend, reflect, spend my time reflects my understanding of ownership. God owns us and our work time. That does not mean I take company time to preach. Unless, of course, the owner of the company says, please, preach during your time. Lunch hours and after hours are good for that, right? Lunch is the time that you're given opportunity. You can preach all you want at lunchtime, all right? You can preach all you want after work. Invite them over. Talk to them. I may not like my pay, but God will reward me better than any human master. I don't need to complain about what God gives me. Well, consider how your use of time measures up. Are you living a spiritually disciplined life? What changes do you need to make? And this is my question, my challenge is perhaps it's time to make Jesus Lord out of the 168 hours you have in the week. Every one of them. Oh, and by the way, rest and worship are requirements. God intends for us to do both. If we're missing those things, we're probably missing His Lordship over our time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You have all things that belong to You, including our lives and our work time. Father, thank You for this time we have tonight for worship. We ask, Lord, that uh, You would help us to become good stewards of the time that You've given us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.